hey everybody and welcome back to the Practice Makes Faithful podcast. Uh, we are excited that you are joining us today for this conversation as we continue to go into the series that we're in. We are in season two, episode three today, and I am joined by Paul Hugobart. Yeah, glad to be here, Ben. Uh, it's, uh, it's a Monday. Yes. But uh, for us, it's a Monday anyway. Obviously, this will release on a Wednesday. Uh, but uh, I think our excitement about recording the podcast overshadows the fact that it's a Monday. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, here we are, it. and we're, we're juiced up to, to share this morning, for sure. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah, and we are going to be continuing with our series, The Way Back, um, based on our message series mm-hmm. here at Grace Chapel and Paul's book, available wherever you get your books. Um, but uh, today, we're going to continue with this series. So in case you've missed it or you just need a quick refresher, mm-hmm. we're going to do a quick recap of this series. So Paul, you want to just give us a quick snapshot of where we've been and where we're at? Yeah. Yeah, so just uh, real quickly, the first week we start off with this understanding, a very foundational understanding, um, a framework that the rest of the book is then built upon, is that mm-hmm. God is God is creator. He's our creator. He's my creator. He's your creator. He created everything we see. Um, since he is the creator, we do, we do owe something to him. He has the right to expect or mm-hmm. ask mm-hmm. things of us. Um, and certainly that, uh, that will make more sense as we then kind of start to kind of steer the nose of the ship toward uh, talking more about repentance, which will, uh, which will start to kind of find its way in the conversation a little bit more uh, next week and certainly the following weeks after that, five, six, seven, and eight. Um, that will take kind of the more front and center role. But we have to get some things in place before we go that direction. Again, so it's very foundational, very um, I think very central to what we're talking about to understand who God is, to acknowledge Him as Creator, and again, and for people who maybe aren't there yet, we've just been inviting, uh, we've just been inviting you to come along on that assumption. Mm-hmm. So let's just assume, let's just start with that framework. You know, I, I can do that with ideas, and sometimes it's very helpful for me when I can't see something a certain way, or when I haven't seen something a certain way, to try it to see it from a, a particular perspective, and then it opens up a new, uh, a new set of understandings for me. Yeah. You know, so again, with yeah. somebody who might not believe, um, you know, if you're pointing this podcast, uh, if you if you are a believer yourself, a follower of Jesus, and you are sharing this with someone who doesn't believe, we we believe it's helpful to them, yeah. uh, because yeah. we're just asking consider another perspective. And watch if you consider this other perspective, what could happen mm-hmm. for you. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's actually going to be very uh, central to some of what we talk about later today, just kind of the considering mm-hmm. another, mm-hmm. of another perspective. Um, so we begin with that idea as, of God as creator, and then we ask, um, if God created all we see, that was really what we talked about last week, what do we start to learn about God by looking at creation? Okay, so what are some of the things that we can walk away understanding? We talked about, you know, uh, the understanding that God is in the details, that God cares about beauty, that God cares about life. You know, all these things that God, uh, you know, even as you talked about, I think that God is the one who, uh, in a sense, then determines what is good. Is certainly in creation, yeah. God is saying day by day, this is good. Here's what is good in, in life. Here's what is good in creation. Um, and then later, of course, uh, you know, with, with the fall, which we'll talk about more next week, mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, as Adam and Eve sin and as sin enters the world, as we are now all uh, subject to the effects of that um, in our own lives, uh, God is able then to say also what's not good. And so, you know, there's so many things that we learn about God as we look out in creation. So that's really what we spent 
the last two weeks doing is first just establishing God as creator, or let's let's allow ourselves to to spend some time with that as reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if God created all of what we see, what does that tell us about him? So that's where we've been, I think, mm-hmm. the first couple weeks in this series. That's good. So tell us about this week's message, part three yeah. of the series, where mm-hmm. we go. This is also kind of based on chapter three of the book, if you're yeah. reading along. Yeah, so I think it'd be good to... Um, to just again recap actually where we ended the okay. podcast uh, last week, we ended with this challenge to to maybe go out in nature. Yeah. You know, if, yeah. if it is true that um, creation reveals to us things about the creator, then let's go spend some time out in creation. Let's observe for just a little bit. You mm-hmm. go do that as an exercise yourself or look at some pictures of a place you've been or, uh, you know, as some folks told me they, um, you know, they just sat down and listened to a worship song. Actually, that will be part of maybe what we talk about a little bit this week at the end of the podcast too, is that idea of spending time praising God. But certainly even in that, we can learn things about uh, about creation. And so that was the challenge at the end of, of last week. And, and we acknowledged with that, there's a lot that we can learn about God as we observe creation. So as we look out in creation, there's a whole lot that we mm-hmm. can learn about who God is. Um, we can start to learn a bit about the nature of God. Um, we can learn some things about the character of God, but if we stop there, the reality is there would be quite a bit about God that we would still not know, mm-hmm. right? So we could look out and that's, um, you know, if you think about the idea of deism, right? Deism yeah. is the belief that, um, that there is a God who created everything, but he's been very personally uninvolved since the creation. Or at some point in time, he just took a step back, uh, you know, went on vacation, um, you know, or, or as Nietzsche said, you know, maybe there was a God at some point in time, but God is dead, Nietzsche hmm. said. You know, other philosophers have said, you know, God is asleep. You know, he's just not listening. He's not paying yeah. attention anymore. So whatever it is, you know, deists would acknowledge that, um, that, that it's very improbable to believe. And again, we could talk about the statistical improbabilities. We did that uh, probably in the first podcast a little bit and looking at, at, at the argument from design. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really hard to believe statistically even that, uh, that all of this could come to be without, without a, you know, a very powerful causal agent. So mm-hmm. we'll call that causal agent God. So it's really hard to believe that that could, that could be um, so the deist would say, yeah, we, we acknowledge um, something had, has to be behind everything we see. Someone maybe even has to be behind everything we see. However, we don't believe that someone is acting in the world anymore. And that's, you know, there's a lot of reasons why deists have arrived at that conclusion. It, it comes down to very complicated things like the problem of evil and suffering in the world. Looking around saying, well, how could a loving God allow all the evil and suffering that we see if we believe that there is a good and loving God, we just can't see those things being compatible. So they say, okay, well, there has to have been a God, but we're not sure either whether he's good and loving um, or whether he's paying much attention to what's happening in the world anymore again. So that's the idea of deism. And you could arrive at that by just looking at creation. I mean, many people have done that. Um, you know, even if you think about um, you know, the mythical gods of the Greeks and the Romans, um, while they sometimes had some engagement and involvement with humankind, it was mostly just to mess with us almost. You know, it's really, yeah. um, it, it's really some crazy stuff. You know, if you look at kind of some of the, uh, some of the, the myths and the legends about the, the Greek mm-hmm. and Roman gods, but for the most part, the gods really just cared about 
each other and engaging with each other. They didn't really care so much what was happening on earth. Now they did from time to time, um, but that has been the thinking about God by a lot of people throughout, I think, you know, the history of civilization, that there had to have been a God. Mm -hmm. Looking around, you know, it's Romans 1, mm -hmm. looking around and saying, all right, everything we see requires an explanation. Um, the Kalam cosmological argument, which came about, I think, in the 13th century. So these are old arguments, mm -hmm. looking around saying there has to be a God. But we could stop there, just as the deists do, and, and then not actually say there's anything more to learn about God. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of that's what we did last week. Mm -hmm. we, we ended at Psalm 3 with kind of a dot, 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 you know, the ellipse right there. Um, where, where David is talking Psalm about... Psalm 8, verse 3. Psalm, Psalm, yeah, Psalm 8, verse 3. We ended at uh, verse 3 of Psalm 8, um, and very intentionally so, just ending that kind of abruptly there. But from there, David goes and he shares so much more about what he knows to be true about God after that point, which leaves you at this place where, at least from his perspective, you can't be just a deist. You have yeah. to move into theism. Um, where you start to see God as someone who is involved in the world today and, and so much more than that beyond. That's good. So I mean, on that note, why don't I go ahead and read Psalm 8, okay. and then uh, maybe we can dive into that and yeah, talk about it a little bit more. That would be great. So Psalm 8, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation here. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think of them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and herds and the, all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O oh Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills mm. the earth. Yeah, I think there's, there's so song. much in that beautiful oh, yeah. psalm. Oh, yeah. um, you know, I think as, as I look at that psalm, there's, there's so much in there. And again, of course, David starts with this declaration, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And he goes from there to talking about some of the things that we observe in the earth. He goes actually to talk about things that we observe beyond the earth as well, too. So from the earth, from our standpoint, we're seeing these things out in the heavens. David is saying, of course, all this for him with the naked eye, no telescope, no anything like that. But he's just observing and out of that, he can see the majesty of God. You know, again, so, um, you know, he basically says it's as if, God, you, your name is written everywhere. It's as yeah. if your fingerprints are on everything. And he moves from that place um, to something very different. To yeah. very, I mean, he, he yeah. shifts uh, gears pretty quickly. And so... Seems um, to tend to, like, take a now focus on, on humans, on our exactly right. role, right? Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so in that, we can see that, that David found himself in awe of God for two reasons. Because he concludes with the same word. So he starts with this sentence, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then at the end is, I think that's verse 8. Um, then he says the same thing, verse, verse 9. nine. Yeah. He says the same thing again. Yeah. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Yep. But he moves among a, a number of different mm -hmm. topics. Or mm -hmm. he discusses, um, you know, kind of 
his awe of God on a couple of different levels from a couple mm-hmm. of different perspectives. Okay, so the first we, we really looked at last week. It's it's this idea, you know, of, of beauty and scope. So so David is looking at, at all of the beauty that he sees with his eyes. And then he's also looking at the size of at least what was observable to him. Now we talked about last week the fact that um, you know we can see so much more than what David could see even yeah. in just this past summer uh, mm-hmm. within the last month. Um, in fact, I think it's right at a month today. Um, it was either the 21st or 22nd that all the that so many of those images from the Webb Telescope were released and that we got to see them. I think. Uh, President Biden shared one of those pictures one day, and the next day was the kind of the whole, uh, the whole photo dump. And so, uh, so we get to see these things to actually that, that tell us about the scope of the mm-hmm. universe in a way that David was never able to understand. Mm-hmm. We get to see as well, kind of, uh, you know, the, think about the idea of scope. Um, you know, we see microscope and telescope both. So the smallest things that, that are observable, some of the largest things that are observable, and the beauty that is found in all of those things in so many ways. And so again, that's what we talked about last week. We see this, and David is declaring this, both the beauty and scope of what he's observing tell him something about God. God is majestic. He sees the evidence of God, the fingerprints of God, God's name written in places. But then he moves to the second reason that he finds himself in awe of God, and it really finds itself in this question. This, uh, this is from kind of the, the, now verse 4. After David is talking about these things that he's observing, he now, as he's been looking outward, turns and then looks inward. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he asks this question now of God. He says, beginning in verse 3, he says, When I consider your heavens, so it's as I look outward at these things, that your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars. Okay, so think about where he's looking. He's looking outward. Mm -hmm. He's looking at the scope of things, just the vastness of space that was observable to him. And he says, when I consider these things, the moon and the stars that you've set in place, he says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? So it moves him to this place where he asks what what is really a, a very deep and big question. You know, so as we think about the size of the universe or the magnitude of creation, period, right? Why would a God with that kind of power? And we often talk about God being omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. So all these omnis that God is that we're trying to describe the scope of God, the vastness Mm -hmm. of God, Mm -hmm. and saying actually with those omnis, we can't place any limit on God. So we're actually saying God is limitless, both in his power and his presence you know, in what he knows, God is, God is limitless mm-hmm. in those things. Um, and, and like David, then we might be moved to ask the question, why would a God like that care about us, care about humankind? Or, or take that even further, you might be sitting somewhere thinking right now, why would a God like that care about me? Yeah, uh, you know, talked about the, the, the fact that, um, you know, for me, what boggles my mind when I think about this, I, I can't even... I don't even know what to do with a number seven and a half billion. I mean, that's such a large number. And think about the fact that that seven and a half billion is how many people are on the face of the earth right now. And so you represent a fraction, an mm-hmm. infinitesimally small fraction mm-hmm. of the number mm-hmm. of people that, are, that, that exist on, on the face of the earth today. And, and David's claim is that he cares about all of us, that God cares about all of us, okay? That he's mindful of us, which means mm-hmm. he's thinking about us. And that's one thing. But then to move beyond that idea of being mindful that God has thoughts about us to he cares about us, 
I mean, th these are huge ideas that move David to be in awe of God. So seven and a half billion people alive today, people have been walking the, the face of this earth for, for thousands of years. And again, the claim of the Bible is that God cares about all of us. That's what David said. Yeah. God cares about all of us. Yeah, and you see this just in how David describes human and mm -hmm. going forward that like verse five that you made humans a little lower right. than God, than spiritual beings, yes. that you crowned them with glory and honor. And I mean, clearly he's he's really seems to be reflecting on Genesis one of how yes. God reflecting created exactly humans right. that he put them in this place. He tells us to be fruitful and multiply, yes. to rule over the world. And David's reflecting on that and seeing that Wow, like you not only do you care for them, yes. but like you showed that and how what you what the authority that you like gave us honor that you gave us this right. honor of working your world, that you made this really great world and you gave us the honor of working that. Yes. And it just I, I just think that's quite it's quite amazing. Yeah, so if you, you look <laughs> at the that. psalm again, if you if we allow ourselves to break this down, what you have is David's declaration Oh, Lord, yeah. our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then he tells, you know, then he talks about why he believes that's true because of creation that he observes. Mm -hmm. And then he ends with that same statement in verse 9. And what he's really saying is, he's, he's again saying, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth because of the place that God has given us within creation and also the place that he's given us, in a sense, you could say, within his own heart. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, so it's those two things, those yeah. kind of twin realities so that move David to declare two different times about two different mm -hmm, things. Mm -hmm. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So again, God, God thinks about us. God cares about us. That's awesome. So God really cares for humankind. Um, and you took that a step further mm -hmm. in the message yesterday and took that a step further to say that God, not only does he care for us, but he actually wants a relationship with us. And that's, I mean, some people may dispute that, yep. may not agree with that claim. And let's, we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But um, there are there's some that would argue, too, that if God really wants a relationship with us, then he should have made that more obvious. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I guess I would just ask, like, first off, let me let me break that down to two questions. The first thing we ask is that why, like, why are you confident that God mm -hmm. wants a relationship with humans? And the second question would be that we'll come back to in just a minute is that how would you address those who say that if God really wants a relationship, he should have made that clear. He should have made that more yeah. obvious. So um, let's tackle that first one. Yes. Why are you confident that God wants a relationship with humans? Okay. Well, first, I'm, I'm thankful that we're going to split this into two parts, even though they, they do connect. Um, I would say first this. So just think about practically, and, and then we'll get into uh, a, a further argument on this. But just think about it practically. When you care about someone, mm -hmm. what do you want? You want to be around that person. Yeah. When you're not around that person, you start to miss that person. You miss the interaction, mm -hmm. you miss the time spent together and everything that, um, that moves you to care about someone. So if David is saying, first, we'll just operate out of the text and then we'll go beyond that. So we'll operate out of Psalm 8 and, and just David's claim that God cares for humankind is an indication of the fact that if we allow that to follow logically, or, or I should say it follows logically then that God would want to have a relationship with those that he cares about. But if that's not enough, and if that's hard to accept, here, here's what I would say. I, I built a case, I built a case in the book, and then also built a case in the, the, this past week's message. 
um, based upon uh, an interesting little thing that, that God shows himself doing or language that is used about God in mm -hmm. relation to uh, human, humanity and specific individuals. Um, and, and here's the language. Um, the Bible talks about God walking with different people. God wanting to walk with the whole nation of Israel. God now wanting to walk with us as well. We'll see Jesus coming to earth, walking among us, all of that. But before we get there, let me, let me just... Um, I just want, you know, I'm sure many of us, you know, we go on walks from time to time with people. Mm -hmm. And I just want you to think about what happens when you go on a walk with somebody. You know, I share in the book about going on walks with my wife as I was getting to know her before we were married. We were just starting to date. And we would intentionally go on walks because it was in that walking and talking that we were developing a relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, those moments were powerful. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it, there's just something about that. As you know, as you walk, your your mouth just starts to work as you're walking. And so, walking and talking is, you know, I, I enjoy sometimes having a meeting with somebody. Just let's go, let's go for a walk. Let's do a walk and talk. You know, mm -hmm. as we're going. And uh, and there's something that happens in that. We we connect. There's a connection over um, maybe both a shared time, shared experience, and then the thoughts that be, that begin to be shared in those moments as well. Okay, so that happens in walking. So I think we could accept that. I, think, I don't think anybody would dispute that, right? So when you go walking and you start sharing with somebody, there's something that happens there. Mm -hmm. You know, more than just with my wife. I mean, I, I have a couple of guys that I will go on walks on the, greenway with from, you know, on the greenway with from time to time. And we do that not just for the exercise. Now, that's, that's there. And, you know, mm -hmm. we're watching our steps on our Apple watches as we're going or whatever <laughs> watch they're happening to use. And, um, but it's much more than about the exercise. Yeah, it's about just hanging out, sharing. It's I mean, we go on a walk to catch up, mm -hmm. right? It's not again. It's not really for exercise. We'd go on a run if it was that. You know, we we go on a walk so that we're not so out of breath that we can still have conversation as we're going. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole purpose of the thing. Um, so I built this case. I built this case in the book and built this case in uh, this week's message as well that God has done that from square one with humankind, mm -hmm. uh, starting in Genesis 3. And this goes into uh, this, this scene that we call the fall, where Adam and Eve, they sin against God. Um, but as Adam and Eve sin against God, it moves them into this place where they hide from God. Well, why do they go and run and hide from God? It was in this moment where they, what Genesis says, when they, they heard, Genesis 3 says, they heard the sound of the feet of God in the garden. They heard his footsteps. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, there's, there's a very physical experience to that. With their ears, they heard a sound. The sound that they, uh, what they associated that sound with was the footsteps of God. How would they know what the sound of God's feet in the garden sounded like if God hadn't somehow manifested himself and actually taking on some sort of physical feat. And this is, you know, this idea is sometimes called theophany. Mm -hmm. It's the mm -hmm. idea of God making himself manifest in a sort of a physical way so that he's uh, visible, tangible to, to human, human beings. And that doesn't necessarily mean that God would take on a physical body like you or me, but it could, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, so we see this idea of Adam and Eve knowing, recognizing the sound of the footsteps of God in the garden, which makes me believe that they had walked with God in the garden to the point that they'd come to intimately recognize his footsteps. Yeah. 
They didn't sound like an animal walking by. They didn't hear, you know, thump, 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 and think, here comes an elephant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they heard the sound, whatever that sounded like, and they recognized it as God's footsteps mm-hmm. in the garden. I think, that's, I think that's a beautiful idea that we should allow ourselves to uh, to sus- suspend, you know, just spend some time contemplating because there's there's just real beauty in that. We see as well later in Genesis, just a few chapters later, that you know here's this very faithful man named Enoch, and that God walked with Enoch. Genesis five. Mm-hmm. We see later God, and you know, one chapter later, again Noah faithful. God walked with Noah, Abraham and Isaac, these men that God then walked with. Genesis seventeen, Genesis mm-hmm. forty eight. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this beautiful promise that God gives in Leviticus 26.12 to the entire nation of Israel. He says, listen, if you will be faithful to me, I'll walk among you. And I think it's still kind of the idea of theophany involved in that, but maybe in a different fashion. You know, So we see certainly in the Exodus, you see um, the pillar of fire and then the cloud you know, and God's presence being signified by the pillar of fire and the cloud as well. So God was with the people of Israel. He's there. He's present with them. Uh, he's walking with them in a sense as they mm-hmm, are, mm-hmm. Um, you know, as they're walking through the wilderness, as they're journeying through the wilderness. God was there in a very present and tangible way. Um, you skip to the New Testament and that we see, you know, uh, again, it's significant that one of the names for Jesus, Emmanuel, that he would be called actually means God with God us, with us yeah. right? So he's here yeah. with us. So Jesus came as God in the flesh and walked among us. You know, as John says, we've, we've seen his glory. How, how did we see his glory? Well, it was through Jesus. As Jesus walked among us, we saw the glory of God, the one and, the, the one and only God. We saw through Jesus because he was with us here um, in a physical body like one of us. And then, um, you know, take that to our present day and age from... Acts 2 on with the promise of the Holy Spirit given to, to you, your children, and for all those who are far off. Galatians 5, Paul expounds upon that idea and says, listen, through the Holy Spirit, God invites us to walk in step with Him. And I do think that's about faithfulness. You know, if we're walking in the steps of the Holy Spirit or in the steps of God, we're following after him in a way that is definitely going to lead us to faithfulness. Mm-hmm. But again, it's walking with God in a sense that, that builds relationship with God. So I think walking in step with the Holy Spirit is as much about building relationship with God as it is about faithfulness. And over and over again, we see when people try to walk faithfully with God, when people give themselves to walking faithfully with God, he comes and walks alongside of them through that in, in an experiential mm-hmm. way, in a way that is... Uh, sometimes almost tangible. And so, you know, I think there is this case all throughout Scripture that the God who cares for us, for us wants to walk with us. And that, that can sometimes be used metaphorically. Sometimes I think it's literally. So here is God walking with His people. Why? Because of all the things that happen when two people walk together. The relationship mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. built. The fact that they get to know each other. Everything that's involved in that intimate walking together. So I, I don't think it's at all a stretch to say, based upon what we read in Scripture, that God wants a relationship with humankind. He cares for us. That care moves him to the next logical progression of wanting to be with us, wanting to be around us, loving us in that kind of way. So I, I think to that's me really that's good. pretty plain. Yeah, I think that's really good. I like how um, I like how you demonstrate that in going through 
uh, just these stories in scripture of seeing God already doing that. It's, mm-hmm. it's really good. Um, so now let, let's talk about the uh, maybe a potential objection to that that yep. one might have, and that would be simply like if someone were to object and say that. Like, so, okay, if I were to go along with you on that, God does want a relationship with us, then why didn't he make that more obvious? Why isn't that more plain in the world? Yeah, and I think, you know, so so we made the case out of Scripture first. So if we're going to say we believe that Scripture is the Word of God, then we believe that what it is telling us about God, or as God represents himself to us, that it is, it is true in what is represented about mm-hmm, God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are a lot of people that will say, okay, fine, let's, let's go ahead and do that. But what about now? And what about in, even in my situation? You know, I, you know I, I think there are a lot of people who, who truly want to experience God. And in fact, we're, we're going to get to that um, you know, in, this, in this series. Um, I actually think that repentance... Coming to God and saying, okay, no more my way, I want your way, is actually part of what it means to experience His presence mm-hmm. or part of what unlocks the, the very physical, tangible presence of God at work in our lives. So that's, that's, that's the first piece. But, but I think we ought to deal with this question because it is a very serious question and is one that I think um, from, from some people is actually a very honest question. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is what's often referred to as the argument from divine hiddenness. Um, okay. What does that mean? Okay, so divine hiddenness is this idea that, um, well, in a sense, just what you said, that if there is a God, we would think that his presence or his, uh, that he would be more visible to us, more obviously visible to us. So it is exactly kind of what it sounds, you know, so divine being God, hidden. So in other words, the the argument is that that God kind of seems hidden. Um, And you, you can see the struggle that we have with this as human beings because, um, we're looking, we look for other explanations to explain how all of this did come to be. And so mm-hmm. we go with a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a natural philosophical explanation that says all of this came to be from nothing basically and just sort of happened and mm-hmm. all the things just were set in place right and we're just pretty lucky that, that we are here uh, today. And I think the reason people do that is, is because they maybe haven't experienced God. Mm-hmm. Right, so they haven't experienced God in in a sort of meaningful way, and that is kind of the argument of divine hiddenness. And there are a lot of atheists that will point to this and say, "Okay, fine, you believe in God, but but you've got maybe this even blind faith is sometimes what's put on us in our mm-hmm. belief in God." And I'll say this: I, I don't believe that my faith in God is blind whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I believe it's a well-reasoned faith. I believe in God because it makes more sense to me than not believing in God. And then beyond that. I have experienced God, and, and yeah. we can talk about yeah. that just in a minute. But so this argument of divine hiddenness was really made uh, popular in uh, in the early 1990s when a guy named uh, J. L. Schellenberg published a book by that name. Actually, divine hiddenness was the name of the book. Um, and and I, I will say again, I want to acknowledge that I don't want to sound like I'm downplaying the struggle that he's pointing to at all because. There are people that, that have really, I think, truly experienced this. Um, Schellenberg, at one point in time, um, he talks about, if, let me see if I can remember um, what he calls this. He talks about this problem of non-resistant non-belief. Okay? Okay. So, so what, what that means yeah, is this. What is that? Yeah. 
So um, often what Christians will say about people who have a hard time believing that there is a God is that you're resistant to the idea, right? So you don't want there to be a God, which, which frankly, there are a number of atheists who, you know, we talked about Dawkins, I think, last week, who, who have basically said, and there are others, he's not the only one who said this, that, you know, I don't want there to be a God. I want to be in charge of my own life. I don't want there to be a God. So that's, that's a resistant non-belief at that mm-hmm. point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, I think a lot, there are a lot of people who say uh, something similar to what Dawkins said, even if they don't put it in those exact words. Um, you know, somebody might say, well, I like living life the way I'm living it, or, mm-hmm. um, or I don't want somebody to tell me what is moral and what is not moral, or I'd rather that we could just all decide what is moral and not moral on our own without some sort of objective source of morality giving us, um, you know, again, if it's objective morality, it's either true or it's not. Yeah. Right, but what we like is a more relativistic approach to morality, where uh, where we could change our minds about certain things as time goes, mm-hmm. as opposed to having things locked in once and for all. You know, but but God is the objective moral giver. Says this is good and this is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are people that certainly resist the existence of a God because they'd rather have things their way. But then on the other side of it, what if there was somebody who was earnestly seeking after God or wanting to give the idea of God a chance and wasn't maybe even against the idea of there being a God, so they were non-resistant in their non-belief? You know, you can make the case for somebody who, who maybe really felt like they had searched for God at some point in time in their, in their lives and, and then didn't find him. Mm-hmm. So what about that person? And again, I don't want to. I don't want to downplay that, and I don't want to minimize that. That that is troubling to me. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard for me to deal with that. Um, you know, I will say I've had times in my life, and, and and if you've been at this place, you're kind of in good company. I mean, the psalmist David writes another psalm where he talks about God being distant and says, "Don't hide your face from me." Mm-hmm. Right. How long, God, are we going to be in this place where I feel like I'm not experiencing you, where, where you're distant from me, mm-hmm. right? So I have felt, I mean, I've had droughts in my life um, since, I, since I became a Christian and started following God where, um, where I think I could have spoken those same words that, that David wrote you know, a couple thousand years ago. God, how long are you going to hide your face from me? Don't hide yourself from me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Stay, stay here. I want to experience your presence in my life because, because, and for me, I can especially say that, because I've had the other times as well Yeah. where I have experienced the presence of God so deeply and tangibly. I mean, it was in such a pervasive way that, I mean, Mountaintop doesn't even describe the experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of God's presence in my mm-hmm. life, maybe both seen and very tangible signs where he was working, moving, lining things up, um, doing things that could not be explained without him being active and present. You know, things that are just, uh, you know, coincidence doesn't work like that. You know, it it just can't explain that. And then also maybe because experience and feeling, um, you know, our feelings are part of our experiences, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, I have felt... And I know some people would say, well, that's so subjective. Okay, fine. 
your not feeling God is also subjective, right? Mm -hmm. So in the moments where I believe that I can't feel God, does that really mean that he's not present? Well, again, that's my feeling in that moment. So there's something to our feelings. So feeling and truly experiencing the presence of God, I, I don't want to discount that. You know. So again, those moments where God was, um, was truly tangible. So, so what I want to say about that is this. Um, again, being sensitive and, and not wanting to say to anyone who might be listening, if you haven't experienced the presence of God, you haven't sought him diligently, honestly, or wholeheartedly, but, but just to ask people to be open because they're actually, God makes promises in scripture to those who do seek him diligently, honestly, and wholeheartedly. And so, you know, in Hebrews 11, we seek him diligently, right? We come to him in faith. We need to believe. We need to seek him diligently. The promises will find him. The same thing if we will seek God honestly, Proverbs 8, and sometimes the word diligently is used there as well. If we seek God honestly, we'll find him. Jeremiah says, if, if we'll seek him with all our heart, Jeremiah 29, we'll find God. So there are these promises in scripture um, that, that I would challenge somebody to fully put God to the test on that. Mm -hmm. Because anytime I have, I found God. Mm -hmm. You know, and it doesn't mean that I found God tomorrow or even the next week or that I had this experience of God where, um, where he revealed himself on my time frame at all. It, it often happens kind of on his time frame, but then what, what I find out is that his timing is so often better than mine anyway. Um, and, and often times it, it has come, you know, what I'll say this, you know, I, I've be, I become, have begun praying and fasting um, weekly. I started doing that, um, I don't know, probably about a year ago. You know, I try to pray and fast weekly. Uh, and sometimes I'll have specific things that I pray and fast for over a period of two or three days. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how often something happens. And maybe my eyes are just more open to it. But I, I want to have open eyes to what mm -hmm. God is doing anyway. Maybe my eyes are just more open to it. But again, so many things have happened in those moments of prayer and fasting or tied to those moments of prayer yeah, and fasting yeah. that I can't put a human explanation yeah. on. Um, it's God at work. And so yeah. God has revealed himself to me. Um, I will say as well, you know, my, last week I went out and I walked. Uh, I, I like going to Mary Alice Park here locally mm -hmm. and walking the shoreline right there. There's a nice mm -hmm. sidewalk mm -hmm. area. There's a little trail through the woods also. You walk right along the lake. So I'm, I'm walking, I'm praying last week as my uh, kind of, mm -hmm. you know, my adventure out into creation to experience the presence of God. Um, and in that moment, I, I experienced God. I experienced something, I learned something again about God in creation. Could see his beauty that way, but it was more than that for me. I experienced a moment, an encounter with God mm -hmm. in that, that once again reassured me of his presence in my life, his working in my life through a time in prayer. Um, and so, you know, I continue to have encounters like that personally. Yeah. So I, I don't want to discount somebody else's experience, but in that I would ask the same courtesy, don't discount my experience. Yeah. Well, as well. and I, I like your, um, your, your call on that, that we have to, diligently, honestly, and wholeheartedly, like, seek this out. Seek out that 
um, that encounter with mm-hmm. God. I mean, it just reminds me, even in Jesus' teaching, mm-hmm. when he's talking about like the kingdom of heaven, yeah. and he's talking about how it's it's hidden, it's not made plain. Right. That it is something that we have to have to seek to be able to yes. see. And it, it seems often like that's the case in relating with God. Is it is something that we have to we have to seek out, have yes. to be open to. That if you're so resistant to that, so mm-hmm. closed off to that. Um, you may not have those experiences. Yeah, agreed. I'm mean, not to say that God can't break through, and He can and has on some people who are closed off to it. Yes. But I think yeah. in regularly and relating to God, it's something that we have to seek out. We have to honestly be searching for that to have those experiences. So I think that's I think that's really helpful. Yeah. So I, I think I would say to to Schellenberg, and Schellenberg is an atheist, by the way. I, I think I would say to Schellenberg, you know, I I don't fully disagree with what you're saying. As far as God being relational, we do have to, and we'll talk about this in a second, you know, but we do have to chase after that to some degree. Yeah. Right? So we are called to seek God. God says, seek me. Um, I think God is searching after us for certain. Um, He's chasing after us, but he wants us to turn around and chase after him as well. So would I agree with Schellenberg that to some degree God is, there is an element to where God is somewhat hidden. Mm-hmm. Yes, obviously Paul says very plainly about, you know, in Romans 1, all these things about God are revealed to us. Yeah. But yeah. the relational piece, which is where yeah. we, what we turn to in, in today's podcast, um, that requires some amount of effort on our part. Mm-hmm. And it requires a diligent, honest, and wholehearted effort on our part to yeah. chase after God that way. Uh, and then there, like I said, there are incredible promises that I would say put God to the test on mm-hmm. and see if, if you diligently chase after him, if you honestly seek after him, if you search him out wholeheartedly, if he doesn't reveal himself to you in a relational way. Awesome. Well, it's been good. So, so we've looked at Psalm 8. We've seen mm-hmm. how um, we, we've seen how God truly does care, like, yeah. care for us. We've went that step further to see that he desires a relationship with us mm-hmm. and even kind of they handled some possible objections to that. Um, now I just I just kind of wanted to ask you too of like, we go even one layer deeper. Okay. You know this language of talking about God wanting this relationship with people of mm-hmm. what is... What is the significance to to okay. that to God desiring a relationship with us? Because I, I just I see that to be, I think that's a very unique thing into yeah. the Christian experience to Jesus to being incarnate to coming here to be with us. That seems like a unique aspect to Christianity. I don't see it in is. many religions of the world. So, what would you say is the significance of God wanting to be with us? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, if you can reflect upon David's words in Psalm 8 just one more time, um, it is something that ought to move us. Again, there are these twin things that move us to awe of God, to to experiencing the awe of God. The first one is seeing what God has created. The Mm -hmm. second is that he wants a relation, that he does want a relationship with us. It ought to move us to a place where we're again, where we are absolutely in awe of God. But you're right as well that um, this is something that is somewhat unique to um, to the way that God presents himself in Scripture and the way that we as Christians believe God can be known. 
Um, the idea of God being relation, relational or the idea of God being personal, these are not ideas embraced by other people of other faith systems, some of the major faith systems of the world. Um, we could talk about you know, Hinduism or Buddhism that really, kind of, Buddhism that really isn't sure about it. <laughs> Buddhism isn't always even about there being a God, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, we could talk about Islam where, where God is high and lofty and so far removed. He's high and holy and he is not near yeah. and close. You know, so, um, so we approach God in a very reverent way, but we never have the Abba Father experience with God, you know, mm-hmm. that we have through Jesus and because of Jesus. And so um, the offer to know God, and again, let's be clear, we're talking about very different gods. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we talk yeah, about Hinduism, yeah. we're talking about, you know, uh, you know, Really, I think I think it's is it three million gods that possibly the Hindus say exist. Um, even when we're talking about Islam, and the claim is that we're worshiping the same God, and sometimes we even call Muslims our cousins. And I think you know there's there's something there, but the way they view God obviously shows that that it, this is a very different God we're talking about mm-hmm. because He is not personal. He is not relational. And certainly if we look at even the God of the Old Testament, he was personal relational in that he was seeking to walk with his people. So this is something that is unique to the Judeo-Christian worldview. And we can only see how true that is. Let's take that one step further in the person of Jesus. Yeah. Who walked with, um, who walked with the highest and the lowest and everyone in between. Mm-hmm. And loved each of them equally, and you know, even I think in speaking hard words to the Pharisees, I think spoke those in love. In challenging people who were caught in sin to live a better life, certainly spoke those in love. In teaching the crowds, taught the crowds in love, and mm-hmm. calling to the rich man, we see, you know, leave leave your mess of all your attachment to this wealth. Come follow me. He looked at him and loved him. I mean. This is a relational God that we see epitomized or, or made flesh um, in the presence of Jesus himself. And so I think, so it's, I think it's highly I significant yeah. and definitely is very different. In fact, um, I have a friend who is a missionary um, in a part of the world working with a lot of, working with a lot of Muslims. Mm-hmm. And he says one of the most, uh, one of the things that has moved people who, uh, who are Muslims to come to the Christian faith, um, what has them almost, he says, sometimes running to the Christian faith is this idea of God actually wanting a relationship with you. So the God who has seemed distant now in the person of Jesus comes near. Just, just a whole different That's way so of good. thinking. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so as we, as we bring this to a close today, um, we'll end with our regular question of what can we, what can we practice this week? How can we practice this mm-hmm. this week to be faithful to Jesus? Yeah, so last week uh, we talked about finding space to experience God, right? So that was the idea. Go yeah. find some space, experience God, mm-hmm. do it in mm-hmm. nature, find some pictures, whatever it is, uh, experience God. Okay, so this week we want to turn up the dial on that just a little bit. And I'm going to... Okay signify that with these two words that will, there's definitely a contrast and a difference between these two, right? The first is experience. That's, we did that last week, but just because we did that last week doesn't mean we don't need to do it again. 
So experience to moving toward pursue. Yeah. So it's a, you know it's another way of thinking about. We just talked about chasing God, chasing after us. We need to chase after God. Um, we need to pursue God in mm-hmm. relationship. So we pursue relationship with God. It is it is to that idea of diligently, honestly, right, mm-hmm. wholeheartedly mm-hmm. seeking after Him. We're pursuing God in in a very authentic way. Um, you know, and if, if we want to ask the question, well, what does it look like to pursue God? Let's let's go to the words of David. One more time, we're just gonna. I just want to read a few words out of Psalm 63 okay. that I think will really help us see maybe a picture of what this could look like. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is what uh, what David says in Psalm 63. He says, "You God are my God. Earnestly I seek you." Okay, so he's chasing after God. So he's saying, "I'm doing this earnestly. I'm doing it diligently. I'm doing it wholeheartedly." So he's coming with that word "earnest" to express that. So this is an honest seeking after God. He says, "I thirst for you." My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary. I have beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. We'll go ahead and, <clears throat> we'll go ahead and cut it there. But... I want you to see what what David is talking about in this psalm and what it looks like to pursue God. And so I think first, it begins with desire. And in David's case, it went way beyond desire to maybe even you might say desperation, right? (laughs) Desperation for God. And it's really uh, because there's this trust that where God is, is where life is found. Yeah. Okay, so desire, desperation. I believe that this is where life is. So it moves us to this place of experiencing. And David calls out his experience of God in the sanctuary and times where he's seen God's power, he's beheld his glory. Um, so yeah, we did the experience thing last week, but but don't don't think, well, we already did that. I don't need to do that again. Yeah. In fact, that can be a part of the pursuing God, but then it goes the next step. It goes to what David says, praise and remembrance and then reaffirmation, okay? so. Praise, remembrance, reaffirmation. Those are the three things that I want people to think about this week. I I want you in your pursuit of God to be at a place where you praise Him. Mm -hmm. I want you to be at a place where you remember Him. You're thinking about what has God done in my life before? Um, Maybe if you're at a place where you're saying, I don't know what God has done in my life. um, Then maybe just think about what would you want to see God do in your life if you were to truly experience Him, if you were to chase after Him, what could that possibly look like? And just allow yourself to imagine what that could look like. Um, and so for maybe for that person, it wouldn't be a reaffirmation. Um, it would be an affirmation or an attempt to affirm. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but for all those of us who've been walking with God, so it goes from praise to remembrance to then a reaffirmation of the truth that our trust in God is not misplaced. And that's exactly what David does in Psalm, uh, in Psalm 63, he says in verse 8, he says this, I cling to you. Mm. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Okay, so yeah. he's saying to God, I am reaffirming this knowledge that my trust in you, God, is not misplaced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have in you a reason to pursue relationship. Um, my trust, it could be even just in the promises that God, those who seek you, those who seek you diligently, honestly, those who seek you wholeheartedly will find you. So that's the, the challenge this week. Go out and, and seek God. Yeah. Seek Him through a time of communion, through praise and remembrance, and then maybe even reaffirmation. Seek Him out and know that the promise is this. For all who seek Him, 
Diligently, honestly, wholeheartedly, all who seek him will find him. Mm, that's good. <clears throat> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, Paul. Enjoyed this conversation. I think it's a good, good call to leave this week to, uh, to seek him out. Um, so I want to thank you all for choosing to join us today, for tuning in. We always, uh, always are honored by that. Mm-hmm. And feel free anytime, reach out with comments, questions. We always appreciate hearing from you all. And uh, until next week, we look forward to seeing you all then as we dive deeper yep. into this part four of this yep. series yep. on Sunday mornings, chapter four of the book. So um, we encourage you just keep following along and uh, we'll see you all next time. Yeah. In the meantime, seek him diligently, honestly, wholeheartedly. And I can't wait to see what happens in your life as you do. God bless you.